Hi everyone, this is Al, your friendly neighborhood host of Developer SideQuests. Before we begin this episode, I want to let you know that this is the second to last episode of the show. When I started this podcast, I had no idea where I wanted it to go. After some time, I realized it's yet another interview show, just like so many out there. And there are a lot that are great that I just can't compete with and never really wanted to compete with. But there's a lot that just have so much good content. Now, in addition to that, there's a ton of work involved with podcasting, and I just don't have it in me to do the work for this show and everything else going on in my life. Now, this isn't a 100% goodbye. Uh, I am going to leave the show online for people to listen to and download, uh, and also to keep my own options open. Uh, maybe I'll come back to this in the future. Maybe I'll do one episode every few months, or maybe I can convince someone else to DM the show. Uh, if you're interested, let me know. I'm completely open to that. Um, I am incredibly grateful to the guests who have come on this show and could not have done that without them. So to everyone who's been on this show in the 13 episodes that we've recorded, thank you very, very much. Now, without further ado, let's start the show. This is Developer SideQuest, the podcast, the show that highlights the different ways we all level up our software development skill set. I'm your party leader, Al Rodriguez, and today we're chatting with another player character, Eric Onerheim. Hi, Eric. How are you doing today? Pretty good. It's a lazy Sunday afternoon and doing all right. Uh, perfect. Love those lazy Sundays. So Eric is a web development ranger that dabbles in druidic DevOps tradition. He spends his time in Minneapolis being chaotic good on the web using TypeScript, JavaScript, and .NET Core. He makes web games for fun, is, part, is a part-time bard, and scribbles drawings on parchment. You can find him in the Twitterverse at Eric Onarheim. All right, Eric, so welcome onto the show, and let's just dive right in. Uh, tell everyone about the side quest you're here to talk about today. Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so my side quest is a, a, a game engine that, uh, uh, that I uh, helped to build along with a few others um, called Excalibur. Um, it's a 2D game engine uh, for the HTML5 cameras, uh, built in TypeScript, but uh, you don't have to use TypeScript if that's not your flavor. Uh, compile straight down to JavaScript. Uh, but the goal is to make it super simple to create 2D games for the web uh, for people that are new to game dev or people that are experienced. Um, we take care of a lot of that boilerplate that you might have to do uh, when building a game for the web. So setting up a lot of that audio, those resource pipeline, that kind of stuff um, so that you can just get to building your game. Um, and it's open source, it's BSD, so go go forth and use it for commercial stuff, uh, fork it, um, submit PRs, you know, that kind of thing. All right, cool. So um, there, there's a lot to pack in there, and I have a ton of questions for you. Um, sure. So let's let's start with the, my first one. Um, I personally am not big on the front-end development. It's just not a skill set that I've ever really... Uh, improved on uh, past just the the very basics. Uh, so I've heard of the HTML5 canvas, uh, but can you tell a little bit more? Um, this is, I guess, partially for me, but I'm assuming there are other people too listening that uh, have probably heard of it, but have never actually worked with it. Certainly, yeah. Um, so the canvas is an API that kind of uh, rolled down with the whole HTML5 um, front uh, that kind of came in, oh, I don't know, like 2012, 2013, maybe a little earlier. Um, but 
the element itself is uh, something that allows for custom drawing. Uh, and it was kind of a response in my mind that this might not be true. This might be revisionist history, uh, but it was kind of a response in, in feeling to flash disappearing where you had uh, the capability to do uh, rich media, you know, visuals in a custom way uh, versus like, you know, how you would normally think of HTML being, you know, designed to emulate newspaper, you know, a bunch of boxes with text. Um, so the canvas has two modalities. Um, so they have a kind of a simplified um, 2D modality, which is what Excalibur uses. And then they have a uh, another one called WebGL. So you can do, uh, if you ever did any OpenGL programming, it's very, very similar. Um, it's all the same kind of commands that you may know and loathe uh, about OpenGL. Um, so it allows you to do custom graphics. Um, so you can do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, you can even invoke shader programs. So if you've done any graphics programming, the shader program is uh, a program that runs on the GPU to do really fast uh, calculations, either for lighting or lighting effects, or uh, you can get really creative with it and do lots of different things with shaders. Uh, in fact, like some people use them for general purpose programming if you want to like do a lot of math really fast. So that's another use for shaders. But uh, yeah, uh, so the canvas really is uh, like a portal where you can present your own uh, custom graphics. And that's where Excalibur lives in that more simplified 2D realm, um, not using the WebGL piece, uh, but it provides a lot of tools for you to be able to draw images and have those images uh, move about um, on in this portal uh, and use some similar metaphors that you might be used to, like a camera. You might have an actor on the screen inside of this canvas. Okay, got it. So I'm, I'm looking at a little bit of the uh, kind of coded samples right here for uh, working with an HTML5 canvas. And I see things like drawing a circle, drawing a line. Uh, if I were using Excalibur to create a game, wow, does it have a lot of wrappers around that kind of stuff? Or, or I guess what I'm really asking is, if I'm drawing out the scene for a game, uh, is it just a lot of these primitives, or is it something like sprite sheets sort of concept, where, where we're just drawing yeah, some of those? Yeah, I'd images? say a bit of both. Um, so uh, at the in the current state, um, we uh, we can we provide the raw context to you. So if you found a tutorial online about drawing to the to the canvas, um, you can just straight up use that uh, if it's the 2D canvas version. Um, but on the other side of it, uh, Excalibur does help if you uh, want to take advantage of sprite sheets and sprites uh, and animations, you can full well use those. Uh, in fact, that's probably more encouraged. Um, doing direct draw to the canvas uh, can be expensive, um, uh, especially like if you're drawing like, a rec like large rectangles, believe it or not, expensive. Um, uh, which is kind of an odd thing to think about, uh, but it's mostly because you know using that raw canvas API, um, uh, and you say fill a rectangle or fill a circle, as you mentioned, uh, the browser has to go and fill in that shape line by line, kind of in a loop. Um, uh, one of the popular algorithms for this is called Bresenham, but it fills in that shape every frame, so it's got a like a nested for loop. You can think of it, uh, so it can be slow, but Believe it or not, drawing images is much faster. Um, so 
having just an image of a rectangle is faster to draw than producing a rectangle from scratch every frame. But you can do both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought that, that drawing an image or something from an image would be faster, but I guess it makes sense. It's already been created. It's kind of yeah. just a copy-paste at that point. Um, based it's off totally of mind-blowing. Oh. And the first time I came across it, I was like, why is this so slow? And then it, it took someone smarter than me to explain it to me. I think it was might have been uh, Zach uh, of, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Zach Stronaut, I think he's on Twitter. But uh, he, uh, he was like, oh, yeah, images. Images are faster. I'm like, oh. That's why. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense. So how long have you been working on Excalibur? Um, so the first commit was January 5th, 2013. Um, and that's about six and a half years from now, from today. Um, and it's been, it's, you know, uh, it's been a, a long ride. There have been periods of more activity and less activity. But uh, I'd say for a good part of it, we've been working on it off and on. Um, mostly it started as um, uh, a demo to show what TypeRip could do. Because um, uh, I was trying to, in my, my one of my previous jobs, I was trying to convince the greater developer population that TypeScript was a, was a good thing. And I thought, oh, you know, making a game in TypeScript would be fun. So it started as a like a really bad platformer written in TypeScript. And then I'm like, you know, I, I want to fall into the trap of, of making my own game engine. I'll fall into that classic developer trap and, uh, and we'll just do this for six years. <laughs> <laughs> and it just keeps it on going. I know what you mean. <laughs> uh, although I, I will say thank you for making it a TypeScript project because I am all in on more TypeScript existing in the world. So I'm, I was very happy to learn that. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Uh, no. <laughs> so, so you said we are working on this. How many people work on the, the project? Yeah. So I'm, I'm mostly the primary. Um, so I, I think I do most of the, the effort, but uh, I work closely with um, uh, a couple of developers, uh, Kamran Ayub, who was a friend of mine from a previous job. Uh, um and uh, Joshua Dean, who's been uh, my friend forever. Um, and then uh, also Alan Gergich, who also works on uh, Xamarin, uh, which is the uh, C-sharp cross-platform mobile framework. Um, but, you know, uh, we have a lot of community contributors that come in and out. Um, and that they, it's been like in the last two years, it's been a tremendous wave of community contributions that have really helped um, accelerate the progress. Um, and, it, and it, you know, one of the biggest things that we've learned is having a really well-groomed black backlog, um, backlog, uh, if I can talk, uh, backlog is super useful for uh, people just coming in and wanting to contribute. And so having really well-written issues, having very clear contributing guidelines, um, and having like, uh, you know, having rails in those issues, like this is the kind of thing we'd like to see, you know, that kind of thing and a lot of detail. Um, and that's helped a ton, like, uh, just get a, like, it's accelerated the amount of work that we can complete. Um, and that's also cool to see like people from all over the world. Like we've had people from everywhere 
contribute in some, in, in, in multiple ways, not just code. <laughs> well, that, I mean, there's so many ways to contribute, right? I'm sure that other people contributed on documentation. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. That's too, been, right? that's been super helpful. Um, we, we are actually, you know, like on that same vein, we've been trying, uh, to level up the documentation and bring that as a first class, uh, aspect of Excalibur. Now we're, I don't, I wouldn't say we're hundred percent there. We have some stuff in the works right now. Uh, but we're really hoping to level up that documentation, uh, bring a, a new level of polish to our samples. So we've just added a new, uh, uh, platforming sample, uh, to the, uh, 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 to the uh, uh, suite of samples that we have, I'm looking for the word. Uh, and we're hoping to add a few more and also add in a whole level of polish to those where looking at these samples is the, the way that we intended for people to build games. So we're trying to build them uh, in a way that is maintainable and able to be followed. Uh, in stark contrast to the games that we've made with Excalibur, where we do them in a game jam and it's just like all hands on deck 72 hours try to build a game as quick as possible uh, so huh. all right well mm -hmm. you you need to dog food it that makes sense right you want to uh, test those out cool yeah and i'm, I'm looking at your uh, github uh, project information right here and i see you know how many contributors there are how many stars how many people are watching it there's there's a lot that's been going on uh 1400 commits over those six and a half years that's a it's quite a few. And I see that there's also uh, a different or other projects too. I see uh, um, some other, it uh, looks like extension projects that also yeah. are related um, to this. Kind of the, the, the big thing that we were hoping to do is there are a few tools of the trade um, that are, I guess, commonly used. Um, one of them is like Tiled, um, which is a, if you, if you have, if you get the inkling to make a game, uh, you should check out Tiled. Uh, but it's um, an open source piece of software uh, that allows you to build maps. Um, so like, you know, think of your Zeldas or your, uh, I think uh, I think Shovel Knight used Tiled to build their levels. Um, so it's not just top down, but you can build lots of different cool stuff. And they have a, like a myriad of export formats so that you can consume them in whatever engine you're using. And it doesn't have to be Excalibur, but it could be Unity. It could be Unreal. It could be your own custom thing. Uh, you just have to be able to t parse the tiled export format. So and I think they have XML and JSON export formats that are easily parsable. Um, but it's super slick. And I think the, the big extension that we use a lot is um, Excalibur Tiled, um, which is uh, just a, a very small wrapper around uh, that parsing logic to pick up the JSON exported format from Tiled. And drop that into Excalibur as a tile map that can be rendered on the screen. Um, we've used it a couple times um, in games that we've done for jams. Um, I think the big one that I'm thinking is it's either Crypt of the Minotaur we used it on. I'm not 100% on that, but Kraken Unchained, uh, where you play a large squid trying to, as it's a stealth game where you're a giant squid trying to escape a closed harbor and there are ships that want to stop you. For some reason, I forget the I forget the whole story, but uh, we we use tiled to do that, and Excalibur tiled came out of that uh, to build that particular thing. Helps a ton. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's really cool. So uh, we, we've talked a lot about what Excalibur can do. And honestly, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, uh, the feature list on the website right here on ExcaliburJS.com. And I see things like sounds and media, uh, game and touch support or a gamepad and touch support, mm-hmm. physics collision. So that's that's a lot of stuff. But um, what can't it do? Or I guess the better question is, what are types of features that you want to uh, avoid making Excalibur JS have to do, right? Because there's probably certain things that you want Excalibur JS to be uh, to to really excel at, but you you want to make sure that you know these other things are maybe better on yeah. or a I, different library. Or one of them sort. comes to mind. I think uh, 3D is off the table for us right now, and that's not a judgment on like 3D games. Um, uh, it's mostly uh, personal taste that we like 2D games. Um, so there, there are plenty of good 3D games. So I don't think we'll ever, um, no, knock on wood, I don't think we'll ever fully support 3D. Um, so I think that's one thing that I can probably say Excalibur will never do. Um, uh, there are things that it can't do because of browser limitations. Um, um, looking at the uh, kind of like controller uh, vibration API, there's there is none, so you can't do like rumble packs on a controller or anything like that. Um, you are limited in storage, uh, a few things, so you have to kind of when you're building a game, you have to understand the kind of the confines of the browser that you're building. Um, there are some things that it can't do today that um, we want it to do. Uh, so one of the big things that as we push towards releasing like a version one of it. Uh, which has been, you know, the classic node problem where it's been zero dot something for six years. Um, but we really are trying to get it at a, like an honest to goodness version one. But one thing that we're looking at doing um, uh, is uh, incremental uh, resource loading. So what I mean by that is, uh, like, say you go to a new level, uh, you don't want to have to like hold on to all of the sound images and all of this for your game from the beginning, you want to be able to pull in the assets that you need uh, when you need them. Um, so looking at uh, getting incremental resource loading uh, implemented. Uh, another thing that it can't do right now that we plan on supporting is um, multi-contact collisions. So most uh, most of your you know uh, grade A uh, collision libraries support multi-contact, uh, Box2D, uh, Bullet, um, you know, uh, name, name a physics library, uh, but supporting, uh, multi-contact, it will increase stability and in collisions, rigid body collisions, things like this, that'll make it much more usable to build physics games. Uh, one of the problems of doing single contact collisions, which has been made painfully obvious is you can get this oscillation where, so you had a, like a long rectangle sitting on the floor, uh, you'd have, you know, one corner contact. And then the other quarter contact and you kind of get this infinite oscillation where this like rectangle just bounces on the floor. Um, so uh, that's, those are two things that are coming that don't exist. Um, I think uh, performance uh, is another big consideration. Like right now we're not hundred percent focused where it is, a, it is a focus, but um, not until we have a more stable API are we going to start you know, turning the screws to optimize various areas. Um, but suffice it to say, it does work pretty well right now, uh, performance-wise. 
So. Okay. Well, cool. That sounds, that all sounds good. Um, so you mentioned that those are things that you want in your uh, V1 for Excalibur once you once you get to that state. So what uh, I guess what what is it going to take for you to get to the V1? Do you have that planned? Is there like a target date in mind? Yeah, uh, we do have a roadmap that we have pinned to our uh, issue tracker in GitHub. Uh, I think uh, early 2020 is the goal. Um, somewhere like March or April. Now that's not a promise. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we do have a plan uh, and uh, we have a lot of things that we want to uh, change, uh, update and improve. Um, I think I, we really are serious about making it uh, simple to use for people who are new to programming and people who are veterans in game development to use. Um, so we're really working hard in the next few releases to shape the API um, in a way that is easy to use and easy to reason about. And you look at it and you know what it does uh, just intuitively by the naming of things. Um, so that's, that's, our, that's our goal, that's our hope. We're not 100% there. I think there's some wonky stuff um, right now in the API. Uh, you know, particle emitters are super wonky. Um, you know, a lot of the features that were built a long time ago, uh, tile map, which we mentioned earlier, is kind of wonky as well. It doesn't really fit. And it's kind of bolted to the side, unfortunately. So we want to make that like more of a first class citizen. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of like oddly named things um, and poorly, poorly named things. Uh, there are a lot of things that we're hoping to remove. Um, uh, you know, uh, we've been following a kind of a, uh, in an effort to re reduce pain, we've been following a, you know, deprecate for an entire release and then remove in the next release. So th things don't get removed uh, or changed for two releases. It takes two releases for breaking changes to be phased out. So we're looking at doing a lot of that, um, trying to minimize the blast radius, but um, if you change anything, you'll inevitably break someone. So hopefully not too much, but hopefully the end product will be better. That's our goal. <laughs> cool, all right, well that good, Good luck on that. And I uh, definitely agree with you that, uh, you know, as software developers, we're all mm -hmm. horrible at naming things. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> and that's not really something. Yeah, you I know. Uh, oh, yeah, there's been some real gems that we've like <laughs> kicked over a rock and you'd be like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. <laughs> Who wrote this? Oh, it was me. Oh, no. <laughs> Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So enough about Excalibur JS. Um, let, let's uh, let's learn sure. a little bit more about you. So while you've been working on Excalibur, uh, what have you learned? Like how much of this stuff? Did yeah, you I honestly like um, it started like it started as a way to convince fellow developers that TypeScript was a good idea. So it's honestly uh, so what, in a period of my career, I veered into DevOps, so I didn't do a lot of coding. So it honestly helped like maintain that skill, help maintain that uh, coding skill. And it honestly, a lot of it um, helped me learn a lot of the front end uh, APIs because before Excalibur, I was not a front end developer, not nearly at all. Uh, so a lot of it has, uh, <laughs> I've learned web development through it uh, in a lot of ways. In my day job, I do Angular and TypeScript, um, but, uh, but a lot of that TypeScript knowledge 
and building those features um, and understanding those types um, really, it, well, one, it's the language of my soul. I really believe that, <laughs> but, but it really has helped um, like inform my day job. It helped me get my new job. I think, I don't know. I don't have facts on that, but I think it helped me get my most recent job, but, um, but it helped me like learn a lot of web development. So like above and beyond like canvas stuff, but learning, you know, uh, basic HTML, CSS and JavaScript and how those three interact and helped a ton. There's some ancillary things that I learned that are not related to web development. Um, if you want to, uh, if you want to giggle, you can look back at our uh, commit history uh, back in 2013 when I when we really just started using Git. Like this is, you know, I use Git and some school projects and stuff like this, but never like to build a big software product or software project uh, with other people. So. Uh, you can see how we learned how to use Git. <laughs> you know, it, it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of like you can see a lot of interesting ideas about branching in there, uh, naming of things, uh, commits specifically. Uh, so you can you can kind of watch us progress in our maturity um, in Git o- over time and to where we are now. Um, and uh, <laughs> the, I think the other big thing that that we learned was uh software quality is no joke uh tests will save you so much headache um uh, for a long period of time we didn't have like th- th- we didn't have any tests like we just had zero tests um so uh imagine trying to refactor a feature or uh trying to change something uh and then breaking a whole swath of your project and not knowing and you only find out when people are like this is not working anymore and you're like what nah and then you find out that it is indeed not working uh because you didn't have any tests so when you change this feature over here uh it had a it had a ripple effect and broke something else over there um so unit testing has been a big part of what we're doing uh so i think we're up to 83 or 84 percent code coverage, which is not like where we want it to be. I think we want to be, you know, you know, cresting over 90. And I think that'd be, that would be stellar, but it does, it does help when, you know, you make a change and then like, you just see it like a bunch of tests fail and you're like, why did these fail? Um, and then you can go and see, oh, you can, you know, stroke your beard and you can think, okay, this is probably a bad idea or, oh, I need to rethink how I'm doing this. And it kind of saves you from yourself because tests are really um, assumptions uh, that you've cooked in that you can past you can check future you, which is super nice. So I think we've learned a lot about software quality, like 100%. Uh, uh, I have two other things I've learned. Um, and there be, one of them is maybe not a good thing. Uh, but <laughs> one, like, <laughs> um, I, it, it has helped me keep pace with the rapid increase in complexity of front-end build tools. Um, I think we've used every front-end build tool, every single one, um, in the in the crescendo of time to now. Uh, so, because uh, like, yeah, it's a ton. Well, oh, and, you know, that's a lot me of being a uh, you know ex C plus plus developer, uh, C sharp developer, I was like, you know. 
let's use make in the beginning. So we used like, uh, honest to goodness, we used make files to build, uh, to build the project. Uh, then we progressed to grunt because that was the hotness for a while. Um, we dabbled in gulp a little bit. Um, and then we switched to this new thing that came out called Webpack, which, you know, I feel like there's the, you know, the, was it the, was it five or seven stages of grief? It's kind of the same thing with Webpack. Um, so it turns out I'm, I'm a convert. I really do like it. Um, uh, but it's, it's been a journey, uh, you know, like learning these different front end tools and how they might operate together. Um, yeah, so that's, that's maybe not a good thing. It's maybe not a good thing that the front end ecosystem requires a lot of these build tools and they, they are complicated. Uh, they're hard to understand a lot of the times. Um, uh, and I think the best thing that we learned, um, uh, was, you know, how to, hopefully run an open source project. I think that was, that was a big portion of it. Um, like learning, you know, not to harp on it again, but uh, good, good backlogs and good planning and transparency really do help um, move a, move a project along. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of the things that you said there, I agree with wholeheartedly. Uh, the number of times that I have been saved by unit tests after refactoring is just, um, I, I mean, I lost count years ago because they're so, so helpful. Um, and even those times where you just want to refactor to, I don't know, use some new language feature that just mm -hmm. having the tests are, are um, life saving because uh, it's e such small, minuscule things that you don't even think about uh, can easily uh, pop through. And yeah, those, those tests will save you. Um, but given everything that you said right there, that's also one of the reasons why uh, I love doing uh, big projects because that's when you see all of this stuff, right? If you had done just a small library that you decided to throw out on GitHub for other people to use, you know, that'd be great. That's a, that's a nice uh, fun project that you probably created. Maybe you'll update it every so often. You'll add some new features, uh, but creating a large project like this with Excalibur, you were, uh, you had to think about all of these other things. You had to worry about the unit tests because of the size. You had to worry about, um, you know, the, the build tools, right? Cause, uh, I'm sure that there are a couple of steps that it has to take. It's not just doing a TypeScript conversion down to JavaScript. I'm sure there's, there's more involved with it too. And so, um, you know, that's a pro for large projects, uh, probably a con being that oh, yeah. there's so much work involved. So, you know, there's that side. But uh, for the most part, it sounds <laughs> yeah, definitely a, a way to force yourself to stay up to date, I guess. Yeah. And it, it you know, one other thing that, that it really, uh, you know, like in the beginning, you know, being being a naive person, uh, I might have said, you know, man, why does, why does X, you know, X code base suck or Y code base suck? It really does... It really did demonstrate, um, and like in a like in a humbling way, uh, how technical debt creeps in slowly over time. Um, and if you're not vigilant about it, um, it you can get to a point where it, it becomes hard to make changes, and uh, and your tests can maybe show you that. Like if you change one thing and like suddenly half your test suite fails, it might might be a smell that you have a high degree of coupling, right? Um, and like a lot of these things, uh, like software kind of gains, it accretes and 
over time it kind of gains inertia where it's hard to turn or shape so a lot of a lot of the recent work that we've been doing has been trying to crack apart behavior into more componentized modules um, so you can kind of mix and match and do things but it yeah you know it definitely gave me a different view of legacy software working in an enterprise where um, you probably run into this but like you you inherit a project and you're like oh man this is pretty uh, this is pretty bad um, this is pretty bad but no one sets out to be like I'm gonna build a bad piece of software I'm gonna build something awful no one, no one says themselves that they're going to, they, they really do try their best. You know, most people try their best. And, um, a lot of what causes technical debt to creep in is either you don't have, uh, either strong technical direction, which can happen. Like if you're in a tumultuous time in the company, like where it's kind of all hands on deck, we just got to get code out the door kind of thing. You're under time constraints, you know, so people just do their best given those constraints. So a lot of, a lot of that. Uh, comes into play or you're just trying to, you're lazy, <laughs> you know, you're trying to cut corners, you're tired and, uh, you know, tests help you prevent against laziness. Um, uh, we have a policy that no new code goes in without tests. Um, and I think that's a good policy to have. Uh, it's honestly saved our bacon quite a bit. Oh, I'm a big fan of that policy. I, I love tests all over <laughs> unit tests. Uh-huh. Um, and, and yeah, you know, exactly what you were saying, you know, no one wants to, to make bad software. It's, it's all just a, a trade-off. So, you know, um, exactly what you said, either it's time or resources or, you know, what, whatever. So many different reasons, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. So, um, what's next for you? Yeah, I think, um, a lot of what's next is. Um, driving towards that V1 of Excalibur. And in that, there's kind of an overarching theme that I haven't discussed yet, but it's uh, we're refactoring a lot of the internals to operate um, in kind of an entity component system way, um, which is a popular pattern in uh, the game development industry for separating behavior from state. Uh, and also it gives you some performance opportunities for uh, uh, opportunities to optimize uh, for cache coherency. And what that means is your data is already located in a CPU cache for you to process that kind of thing. Um, so we're working to uh, take a lot of the behaviors, like we were, I was saying earlier, that are kind of glued for better, for worse into uh, actor, which has kind of become the God class, um, unfortunately. And I think, you know, anyone who's built their own engine or anyone who's built a game might might be they're like oh yeah the character is a, like a two thousand line file with literally everything in it um, you know it, it does all the things and then you have this crazy inheritance scheme and it's just really hard to reckon so what we're looking at doing is breaking all of those behaviors into components uh, which are uh, just uh, containers for state and maybe a small bit of tiny bit of behavior, but not much. It's not a pure ECS that we're building. Um, a little bit of behavior. And then systems, which operate over components and mutate states. So if you've done Angular or uh, React Redux uh, or NGRX, uh, you can really think of it as a reducer, which is a, a system is just a function uh, that takes in components and does stuff and produces components with new state. Uh, 
So that's that's where we're headed. And it'll be really nice because it'll be super testable. It has a great testing property. It has a lot of interesting properties where, uh, remember that God class, well, now you can just build an entity and then mix and match things that you want. You know, like, oh, you want it to have a drawing so that it can draw to the screen. Uh, but you don't want a collider. You don't want it to be able to collide. Just don't add it. Versus like right now where you get all of the things, whether you want them or not. Um, so this will be a nice way to build, you know, create emergent behavior or features without, you know, having to take on all of this cruft that you might necessarily want. So that's the big overarching theme. And then kind of, you know, threaded in there is, you know, removing some API features that have really just been a source of bugs and that really haven't helped. The one that I, that my cohorts probably uh, know that I'm saying is child actors, where you could parent actors to other actors for the purposes of kind of hierarchical drawing. So if you moved, um, if you moved like a, say you parented an actor that had like a sword uh, to a character actor, when you move that character actor, the sword would come with. Um, it's really been a source of bugs. So what we're gonna do is for folks that want to do hierarchical drawing, like you want the like you want the item that the character is holding to come with, um, we're working on a new uh, hierarchical draw type API where really you're just working with images at this point um, and not do like the whole kit and caboodle and do this parenting because it's caused a lot of problems, both in the drawing stack in Excalibur and the collision, the collision stack knowing, okay, we've got this weird setup now, how do we reconcile this? So I think that's one big thing. And then really buttoning up the rest of the API service, the samples and the documentation. I think that's like getting that humming along, I think is a big portion of where we're headed next. Um, and, uh, and we have a lot of the details um, on our roadmap in our backlog. Um, uh, you know, things that we're intending to do, um, things that we're intending to remove. Uh, and I, I really do think it'll be, it'll be nice. It, it'll be a simple way to, for folks to build games. Um, and for folks that want to dabble in, in building a game, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, you don't need to know how to program to build a game. And that's, that's one thing I want to say, um, uh, like you don't have to use Excalibur to build a game. You don't have to use Unity or any of these other software products. Uh, not that they're not great, um, but uh, it really just takes a pen and a piece of paper. Um, like, you know, paper prototyping um, is, I recommend it. Like don't sit down and start coding if you have an idea, you know, draw stuff on pieces of paper, play, force your friends to play it with you on that piece of paper. You'll find gaps and stuff really fast. You'll find issues. You'll be able to find the fun before you commit yourself to running thousands of lines of code and then finding out your game is not fun. Um, so I'd recommend that, that would be my piece of advice. So that was a bit of where we're going and a little bit of advice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good, yeah. <laughs> All right, so before we uh, close out here, um, is there anything that you want to plug, uh, anything you want to promote or ask for help on the project, you know, any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, um, so I'll definitely plug ExcaliburJS.com. Uh, we have links to uh, a gallery, which 
have a lot of the games that we've built, a lot of them from the Ludum Dare game jam. Um, I want to plug Ludum Dare, which is a super great, great way to learn. Um, it's, uh, it's a game jam that they have, I think used to be three times a year. I think it's twice a year now, but, um, you know, you build a game either in 48 or 72 hours and they have different rules for each of those jams, but it's a really great way to learn really quickly and meet people that are passionate about building games. So I want to plug those folks. Um, they've done a great job. Um, uh, Excalibur has a lot of issues. So if you guys want to check it out, help us out. Any suggestions are great. Um, uh, you can check uh, me out on Twitter. Uh, I have a GitHub where I post random stuff. I have a YouTube that's kind of languished and I don't have enough followers for a channel, but maybe we can throw those in the show link, uh, show links. Um, I, uh, I've done some other talks about building games for the Nintendo, uh, building games uh, without Excalibur for the web, just with JavaScript. Um, and then I have a, a library called TypeState for doing uh, finite state machines in TypeScript, um, which was built for the purpose of doing finite state machines in games, but it doesn't have anything to do with that. So if you ever wanted to do finite state machines um, for, you know, either doing very simple AIs or workflows or menu workflows, super, super useful. And um, yeah, and I always want to say we're always looking for contributors. So and I promise we're friendly. Um, we have a lot of good folks, um, a lot of good teammates that help out a lot. So we're always looking for contributors. Um, and if you build a game in Excalibur, we would love to put you on our website. So if you have a game that you've built and you want to show it off, we will gladly put it on our website. We'll retweet you. Um, like that would be super cool. Like we're definitely open for that. <laughs> Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, and everyone, all of those links that Eric just mentioned uh, are in the show notes, uh, along with a handful of other links, too. So we'll put uh, links to samples and a few of the other games that have been made with uh, with Excalibur JS. So uh, definitely pull that up if you have any interest, because uh, that's all there in wherever it is you look at the show notes in whatever app you're using. <laughs> Um, so cool. All right. So Eric, uh, really good luck on your future quests and maybe we'll have you back sometime to talk about how much you've leveled up or how cool, well, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, to talk about all the cool loot you've plundered. And until next time, everyone, you could find this show on Twitter. We are at dev side quests. And also if you could please, uh, rate and subscribe to this show with whatever pod listening enchantment you subscribe to, uh, please do that. All feedback is welcome. And to, you know, tell your friends, family, uh, enemies, etc. All those people that are in your lives. All right, everyone, go work on a quest.